I see it's uh, safe to say CNU is officially back. <laughs> That's awesome. Welcome back, everybody. Well, we're going to get into some worship this morning, so before we do that, let's pray. Lord, we just we love you so much. We thank you for who you are, Lord, and for your love for us. We just ask that this time, Lord, as we um, get into worship, that we would just be able to set everything else aside, Lord, and just focus on you. Um, this morning is about you. You're the reason that we're here. We're here to glorify you, to worship you, um, because you alone are worthy of it, God. And so we just ask that you would bless our time together, Lord, and above all, that you would be glorified. Amen. Kingdom, yours is the power. 
The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was born with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was born with the precious blood of Jesus Savior say thy strength indeed is small child of weakness watch and pray find in me thine all in all Jesus paid it all all to him I owe sin has left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow and now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can cleanse the spots and melt the heart of stone Jesus paid it all all to him I owe sin has left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow
Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. God of creation, there at the start, for the beginning of time. With no point of reference, spoke to the dark, fleshed out the wonder of life. As you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born in the vapor of your breath. The planets form. If the stars are made to worship, so will I. I can see your heart. Everything you've made, every burning star, signal fire of praise. If creation sings your praises, so will I. of your promise you don't speak in vain syllable empty your voice once you have spoken on nature inside to follow the sound of your Catch your breath, evolving in pursuit of what you said. If it all reveals your nature, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you say, every painted sky. Canvas of your grace. If creation still obeys you, so will I.
down my heart all of my failure and pride together, Lord, as a body. Um, we do thank you, Lord, that you are the one who never leaves the one behind, Lord, because so many of us have been that one at one time or another, Lord, in our lives, and so we just thank you for your pursuit of us, God, to have a God that loves us so much that he could just pursue us like that. We love you so much, Lord, and we just thank you for who you are to us, God. We ask that the rest of the service would be blessed, Lord, that you would continue to allow our hearts to be open, Lord, to receive what you have for us as we get into the word today. Amen. You guys can be seated. Um, for those of you at home, uh, we're going to take a quick break, reset some things on the stage, and we'll be right back. For friends who are at home uh, watching virtually, um, I want to thank everybody in here. Uh, it's it's awesome that we can worship like this, and uh, and and the way that you, everyone is sort of following the the rules and everything to allow everybody to be here. Thank you for doing that. This will not last forever, um, but our uh, commitment to caring for one another this way allows us to come together and worship, which is excellent. Um, during uh, our, the worship, the singing part of our worship, I remembered a verse, Matthew 18.20. And it says, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So, amen. So when we come to worship God, this is not a bunch of people together like in a big movie theater. Something special is happening. Our Lord Jesus Christ is literally present here this morning while we're doing this. So thank you for being here. Uh, I'm going to pray and then we will jump into our scripture this morning. Actually, before I pray, I have an announcement. I wrote it at the top of the page on purpose. Uh, young Life. Uh, which who I work for, uh, we do Young Life with high school kids and what we call Wildlife with middle school kids. Next weekend, First Church has been kind enough to help us host movie nights for kids. We'll do outdoor movie nights. Uh, and the 11th, uh, Friday night, is for high school kids. And the 12th uh, is for middle school kids. So I, you know, but, uh, and if you've got more questions, you can look it up on the website or ask one of the one of the Young Life leaders here in the room. Would, if you're a Young Life or Wildlife leader, just real quick, would you raise your hand so people know? So there's a bunch of them. So the odds are if you go up to somebody, you've got a one in three chance. It's one of somebody you need. So, all right, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this morning. We are grateful to get to come together and worship you. Your majesty knows no bounds. And Lord, we're grateful for the situation we're in. We don't like it, but we know that you're using it. And we just 
We just submit ourselves and surrender ourselves to You this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, my self-titled uh, title, I guess that's a bad, bad way to put that. Myself, my title for this morning's sermon is The Radical Generosity of Our God. Um, we have a lot going in our world right now, a lot going on more so than I can remember in terms of things happening simultaneously. Um, we've got a presidential election year with, I will say, uh, great passion on both sides is probably the nicest way to put it. There's racial tension and unrest over injustice. Oh, and by the way, we're going through a global pandemic, and there's even a great amount of disagreement among people about how to move forward through the pandemic. What's the right thing to do? How do we do it? What's the safe way? What's the necessary way? We've got a lot going on in our world. And what does God want us to understand or be thinking about when we're going through something like this? Now, one of the ways that I, I've kind of measured in my mind uh, sort of the, I guess, animosity is the best word of the season we're going through. I'm not a big social media guy, but every so often I'll look on it and, and sort of, you know, it's usually like, oh, you know, they had a, a baby or, oh, they got a dog, you know, or, oh, remember the picture of their kids from five years ago? Yeah, that was really cute. And now when you go on, you know, it's, it's you know, a, a political opinion or a social opinion or an opinion about about what to do about COVID-19. I mean, it's remarkable. Just sort of the angst, the frustration, and really the anger all over our world. I had to take a self-imposed uh, news break. I don't, I'm don't. i watching the news for a week. You know what? I'm much happier. <laughs> but, but I mean, I literally, that's just sort of, there's such tension and animosity right now. Um, we are going to look at one of the sweetest human stories in the Bible. This is uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9. And it demonstrates God's character, but it's also, and it foreshadows the Gospel, which we'll talk about. But it's just, think of it now as one of the sweetest stories, human stories in the Bible. King David uh, is in the, you know, one of the main characters in this. And everybody knows the bad thing David did. And it happens in a couple of chapters, but probably not a lot of people know about this, which is remarkable. I'm going to read from 2 Samuel 9. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Emiel in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. It says, now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. He should write a book about parenting at some point. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. 
So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. So, what do we know about this story? Well, David has just taken over for Saul. Okay, Saul is dead. Uh, his son Jonathan, who's Mephibosheth's father, is dead. Um, Jonathan and David were close friends. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And now David, the reign of King David, is taking over. That's what's happening. Uh, and just so you know, that back then, when a king would take over for another king, it was common practice allowed and even expected for that king to wipe out anybody that would be in competition for his throne. So Saul's family, it would be normal for David to hunt them down and kill them. That's what, that's what you do, you know, because you have to eliminate anybody that's going to come after you as the newly installed king. We th- I mean, if you think about politics here get rough, that is a whole other level. But that's what they would do. And they would, they would eliminate all of the family members. So Mephibosheth uh, does what people would do in that time and tries to go to a place, get away and hide. He is considered, people would look at them and he would think at this point he is an enemy of the king. And that the king, eventually somebody would come and knock on his door and find him. And when, they, when, when he was brought to the king, he would have expected to be killed. Mephibosheth is in a place that says he's in Lodabar, which means no pasture, no word, or no communication. So it gives you an idea. It's like he went way out there where nobody could talk to him or communicate with him or find him. That was the plan. Um, And remember, it's totally acceptable for um, the king to, to come and wipe him out. Now, another thing about Mephibosheth, it says this in a couple of places, and we'll talk about this later too. He's lame in both feet. When he was five, uh, they, were, they were running out and they were trying to get on a horse real fast, and his nurse dropped him. And since he was five, he's been unable to walk. Lame in both feet. Um, and so he can't do anything. Like He can't work the fields. Um, he can't do the, the normal things that you would do to kind of prove yourself and, and be worthy to be part of uh, whatever group, or to sort of pull your weight within your family. He has no power to change his state. Remember, Mephibosheth was the grandson of the king. So this is like being you know, the grandson of a senator or a president. Like You've got all of the juice of that, all of the resources, all of the respect of that, and now it's all gone. He's lost his family status, even his wealth. He had a very wealthy, and he has no, there's nothing he can do to fix his situation. First question for y'all. What do we have in common with Mephibosheth? What do we have in common with him? I think the biggest thing, we are unable to change our standing before God. We might try, and I think we sometimes mistake um, our efforts for righteousness. Righteousness comes from the blood of Jesus Christ, not from what we do. But we try to earn. But the, but the reality is we, we have that in common with Mephibosheth. We can't repair or restore anything about ourselves. Now, When Mephibosheth is brought to David, a remarkable thing happens. He says to him, Mephibosheth, and he says, at your service. And then he says this, he goes, don't be afraid. This is in verse 7. David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. The first thing he says is, I will show you kindness. Now, 
We, in the English translation here, it says kindness. You see this a lot in the Old Testament. It's translated as loving kindness. It's like kindness, but kindness isn't really enough. He's like, I will show you, you know, God's gracious loving kindness. He says, another way to think of it in the Hebrew, I will shower you with love. So it's not just about position, power, and wealth. It's David is saying, I'm going to love you. I'm going to shower you with love. It shows God's deep love and commitment. That loving kindness. Now this is a good sort of soul indicator for us. Where have you seen God's loving kindness in your life? Think about that. I see a lot of people with pens and paper. Write it down. Where have you seen God's loving kindness in your life? There's a lot swirling on around us right now. It would be very valuable for every one of us to pause and to say, okay, Lord, let me, let me just remember the way that you have demonstrated your loving kindness to me. And David very accurately reflects God's heart when he says, I'm going to show you loving kindness. I'm going to love you. That's the first thing. God wants to love you and I. Not just restore. He's going to do that. But He wants to love us. Where have you seen the loving kindness of God in your life? Next, we see David restores Mephibosheth's inheritance. He says, I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. He says, you, you're, always, you're going to get back all your money. And later on it talks about uh, Ziba's 15 sons and 20 servants doing all of the work in the field that Mephibosheth can't do. And he's reaping the rewards of that. So it's wealth inheritance. We've talked here before, I know, about you know, the, the inheritance we have in Jesus Christ. That And it isn't, it isn't monetary, but in terms of heaven, it is invaluable. Things like God is preparing a place for us. His grace poured out on us. So He restores His status there, His financial, His, his uh, inheritance. Now remember, Mephibosheth could not earn that kind of riches. He, he, would, he, would, he would be impoverished on his own. David also gives Mephibosheth a place at the king's table. He says, you will always eat at my table. I've never had a meal with a king. Uh, I've eaten, I guess, a couple of times with people that are kind of important. Uh, but uh, to the idea that you always have a place there, that he is invited to fellowship with the king. Remember, in the, in the biblical times, sharing a meal was a sign of fellowship. Jesus called a lot of heat for eating with tax collectors and sinners. What are you doing? Why would you, you know, you're not allowed to eat with them. Uh, so this, this sharing a meal is a rich fellowship. And he's inviting Mephibosheth to be part of that. He's saying, I, I want you to come and be with me in fellowship. That's what God wants for you and I. He essentially adopts Mephibosheth into his family. Mephibosheth is welcomed in. Now, I want to point out a couple of really important things that are, that are easy to gloss over. What's the deal with his feet? I mean, it's weird the way that it's addressed, and here's what I mean. So, uh, Ziba tells him about Mephibosheth, and he says he's lame in both feet. Okay? Just, you know, heads up. You know, he's lame in both feet. And then it doesn't say anything about it again until it's after all of the stuff. It's like, oh, he's going to get to eat at the king's table. The servants are going to do all this for him. They're going to put all this up. And it talks about um, Mephibosheth, the last verse, lived in Jerusalem because he always out at, ate at the king's table. He was lame at both, in both feet. It's like, Okay, like, it's odd, weird. Here's why that's in there, okay? So, biblically, uh, your feet were tied to your, your soul condition or your soul health. 
And you think about, think about the, there's a lot of Bible verses like that. Uh, Thy word is, a, is a, a, light, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 56.13, For you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling. Feet, it's like, it, you know, feet are, are tied to our soul health. That I may walk before God in the light of life. Psalm 73.2, But as for me, my feet had, had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. Psalm 116, verse 8, For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. So feet are a big deal in the Bible. And we've talked about this before, but when we look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament foreshadows and, and predicts and demonstrates the coming of Jesus Christ and what that means. And so we see these over and over again. It's Christocentric is the word they use in seminary. That even in the Old Testament, Jesus Christ is at the center of it. We don't, we don't know His name yet. Uh, and so you have this person that is lame in both feet, that can't fix anything on their own, and it's physically true, but it's also demonstrating a spiritual reality for us. He can't, he, he can't walk. And the Scriptures talk about our feet all the time, and it's related to not physical health, but spiritual health. So that's why lame in both feet comes in there. Now, it's very interesting that in their encounter, David says, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him. It goes on and on. David never mentions Mephibosheth's feet. You, I mean, you think you'd be like, hey, I'm, I'm sorry about what happened to you. And, or Mephibosheth never talks about his feet either. He, he doesn't say anything about it. Uh, you think he would say, I would, like, I would, I would work for you. I, would do, I just can't because on account of my feet. Why do they not address it? Here's why. David is, if you'll remember, is doing this because he loved Jonathan, Saul's son. And the Scriptures tell us, tell us Hebrews 10.17, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. When Mephibosheth and David are sitting there seated at the table, you know, it's, it's, his feet are not an issue. They're together and they're not there. And, and God, God does not hold sin over us. Like when Jesus deals with our sin, it's dealt with. Like there's nothing, like it's, it's, it's paid for. And for Mephibosheth and David, the feet just simply weren't an issue. Why? Because David, for the sake of Jonathan, wanted to be kind. The Mephibosheth. So it demonstrates the way God looks at us and our sin. Now, here's another question for you. In a room this big, there's going to be a great variety of answers to this question. Is there a past sin, weakness, or regret that you're unable to forgive yourself for? Something that you're dealing with constantly. For me, this period of time, the last several months, has uncovered some things in me that I didn't know were there. I don't like it. It's painful for me to see, to look at myself in the mirror. Bill Cumbie gave me a book called uh, Lost in the Middle. If Bill Cumbie offers you a book, check it out first. It's, uh, it's excellent, but it is revealing things in me that are really hard. Um, but I have to, and, I, and I'm seeing weaknesses in me that have been there the whole time. And I have to recognize that when I confess my sin to the Lord, the same one, over and over and over and over, I am able to move forward. He can forgive me and I can move forward. Is there a past sin or weakness that you're unable to forgive yourself for? God has dealt with it. You're forgiven. Now, I think a really cool part about this and a force, the foreshadowing 
the most pure foreshadowing of the New Testament you see here. If David and Mephibosheth didn't talk about his feet, what do we think they talk about? I, I have every confidence that as they share meals together day after day, they talked about their shared love for Jonathan. He would have been the main topic of conversation. It says David extended this kindness to Mephibosheth on behalf of or because of Jonathan. That his relationship with him is why he did it. And he said, I'm going to read it again, verse, verse 1. Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? David sought, like was looking for people that he could show kindness to for Jonathan's sake. God does the same thing for us on behalf of Jesus. God is looking at the world and saying, who else can I show kindness to? Who else can I show kindness to for Jesus' sake? Like because of what Jesus has done. This is a beautiful picture of the Gospel. Now, if I said that you know, the, the overwhelming grace of God or the generosity of God was the sort of the topic for this morning, how do we respond to this radical grace that God offers? Like, what, is, what does God want from us? Let's sum it up this way. Matthew eleven twenty eight twenty nine. 29 Jesus uh, says this, Come to Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. <laughs> for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What does gentle and lowly mean? Can you imagine now? We're gonna, we're, if it's starting now, but we're going to get inundated with political ads real soon. Like they'll be on all the time. You would never be like, vote for Bill. He's gentle and lowly. You wouldn't hear that. That wouldn't be part of it. It's always somebody, you know, like if they're a military, they're in their military uniform, they're on a battleship or something like that. It's always like, you know, great leadership, you know. Uh, you, you never hear words like gentle and certainly not lowly. But what does that mean? What does that mean? Here's what it means. It means Jesus is totally accessible to you. Totally accessible. For a lot of us, we look at God and we think God's got, God is pointing His finger at the stuff we're doing. He's angry. Stop that. I see that. The reality is he, He's there with open arms, inviting. Come to Me. Come to me. That's the response that he wants for the radical grace that he's offering. He's not mad at you or disappointed. It's just not how he is. I struggle a lot with, with coming to God and confessing the same thing over and over. Now, a way to think about this is that if you're a, a missionary, you're a doctor in a third world country, and you are there to help people with certain illnesses, and you have the medicine that, that this certain illness needs. And there's people that, for whatever reason, they're not sure what you're going to do to them. They're not, you know, they're, they don't trust you. They're afraid to come to you for the cure that you can offer. When we come to God, when we come to Him, it's His response is like the doctor that has the medicine to fix the sick person. He's not mad. He's not, well, it's about time. No. He's, he's glad you're here. He's like, I'm so glad you came to me. I can help you. I can repair what's broken inside you. That's his response. So our response to God's radical generosity, this offer, this loving kindness that He wants to shower on us, come to Him. It's simple. Come to Him. That's the only qualification. You don't need any merit or any kind of achievement or anything. It's just come to me. That's it. Now, 
as we move forward, as we follow Christ, we need to know this, and it's, and it's so obvious now, but it's always true. You and I get to bring light and life into a dark and dying world. Uh, and if there's ever a time that our world needs grace, love, loving kindness, forgiveness, it's today. And you and I get the privilege of bringing that into the places we go and the people that we're around. Remember, the Scriptures say, we love, why? Because He first loved us. Our worthiness is the same as Mephibosheth's. We can't offer anything. But God's love is the same foreshadowed in David. Loving kindness, I want to pour it out on you. You hear the phrase a lot today, cancel culture. Yeah, you know, you get, get thrown around. We, we should be radically countercultural in the way we show grace because we've received radical grace from our God. Let me pray. And then, uh, and then Jose, do I need, are we going to take up a collection or do we do any of that? I, he says no, yes? No, okay, I'm going to pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the radical grace and love that you offer. Thank you for the centrality of Jesus Christ, even in the Old Testament. Lord, thank you that uh, when Mephibosheth says, How could you, you know, what do you want with a dead dog like me, Lord? That's every one of us. Thank you for loving us the way you do. Bless us, Lord. Thank you for letting us be together here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks guys. I think we're done for the day. Uh, have a great uh, Labor Day weekend. Couldn't remember what holiday it was. <laughs> <laughs>